Sunday evening, Christmas show at New Beginnings is here. It is going to be an incredible, incredible evening. Uh, we've got a huge cast that have put a lot of work in, and this week's a long week of rehearsals and preparation, and you're going to want to be here. Bring your family, and one of the things we've challenged you to do is, is bring friends with you uh, to get them connected here at New Beginnings, and, but most importantly to Jesus, because that night they'll get a chance to hear the gospel. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, you need to do that. And the seat back in front of you, the QR code there, you can open up your phone and, and purchase those tickets today. Uh, or you can do so in the lobby on your way out. We have volunteers there to help you if you need help getting those. Uh, tickets are going fast, so I encourage you to get those today. Uh, it's going to be a great, great evening. Well, listen, Christmas season is officially here. Everybody's ready, right? Not even close. But I don't know about you. I love this holiday season. I love it because everything's kind of just slows down and it gets calm and peaceful and uh like this season is, is one where we could just appreciate life and each other. In fact, I know some of you this holiday season, as you approach it in your mind, you begin to just feel the, the warmth of the holiday season. You begin to uh, maybe even hear music in, uh, in your mind. You just get a chance to think about the holiday season. You... Christmas has a certain feel to it, right? And what I... I love about it, even, even at times there's like moments where you just need a little mood lighting, like, like, like you just need the, the room to be set, just perfect. You know what's really great? This holiday season, you hear the music, the mood is right. A good fireplace makes the holiday season special. It's incredible. But you know what, if you got the music and you got the lights and you got the fireplace, you know what would make Christmas even more amazing since it's this calm, peaceful season we enter into? Be awesome to have some snow. Anybody want some snow? Here we go. Is that better? Y'all feeling the Christmas spirit right now? Not yet, all right. Maybe, maybe some milk and cookies will do it some homemade cookies nice glass of milk with a new beginnings mug it's even better even got stars on the cookies they're amazing and so Christmas is a time of year of peace it's calm nice music nice lights snow fireplace cookies and milk and don't forget the family's coming in and everything always gets better when the family shows up all of the nieces and nephews are coming. Aren't you excited about that? The cousins are coming in, and we're going to get a chance to talk politics, but everybody's going to agree. It's going to be amazing. Is this how your Christmas season feels? Actually, it's a little bit different. It actually feels a little more chaotic. And in not the mood lighting, it's a little more chaotic than that. This is, and then all of a sudden Christmas turns into a dumpster fire. This is a little more like it, is it not? Like we want Christmas to be the other way and then this is what we get. Let's just be honest. All right, so enough of that, enough of that, enough of that. All right, you get the picture. 
All right, so here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get this put over here. Um, so the holiday season is not exactly picture perfect. We don't exactly get the music and the lights and all of the things that we want. And what we're going to do this holiday season is we're going to look at a series that we're calling Christmas Unfiltered. Christmas Unfiltered. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Christmas narrative, really the way that the Christmas narrative happened in the chaos and the craziness and the turmoil and the controversy that really was a part of that first Christmas. And here's why we want to do that. Because the truth is, out of those two scenarios I just painted for you, the, the second one feels more like reality, does it not? So if we're going to understand the power of Christmas and what Christmas really makes available for us, we've got to see Christmas unfiltered. We've got to see Jesus in the middle of all of the mess. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So grab your Bibles, if you would, and go with me to Luke chapter 2. Today, we're going to talk about God in the chaos. God in the chaos. And so as you're turning to Luke chapter 2, let me give you the backdrop, what gets us to Luke chapter 2. If you, if you were to read Matthew's account, here's how the Christmas story begins. It, it begins with Mary, who is this young teenage girl, somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. She is betrothed, which is a kind of a, a, an engagement with a lot more responsibility. And so here she is. She's, she's soon to be married to her fiance, Joseph. They're making plans for their future. He's probably preparing the home for them when they uh, have their wedding and, and, and they're preparing their future life together. And out of nowhere, an angel shows up and gives Mary this message. She te he tells this little girl, this virgin girl soon to be married, that, hey, Mary, you're pregnant. But don't worry, your, the pregnancy is a divine pregnancy. You are with child, and this is a divine pregnancy because you're carrying in your womb the Savior of the world. Now, just pull out of the filter for a minute and just think about what must have been going through Mary's mind. First of all, she doesn't even know if this is a dream or a nightmare. And then she really realizes in the moment, oh my goodness, this is a real thing. This is really happening. And then all of the thoughts come to her mind. Okay, I believe the angel is right and this is really happening and this is a divine moment, but what is everyone gonna think? I mean, no one's buying the angel showed up in the middle of the night and now I'm pregnant. Like the people are not gonna accept that as truth. So think about, she's going through her mind, chaos now. This life that she had planned has now been interrupted with this impossible calling that God has now given her. All the hopes and dreams, all the plans that she had, she knows in this moment, nothing in my life will ever be the same again. And now she's starting to figure out, or trying to figure out rather, how am I gonna tell Joseph, my fiance? How am I gonna tell my mom and dad? What's gonna happen when the community finds out? And then just maybe a few houses down, there is Joseph, her fiance, soon to be husband. And she's been saving herself for marriage. He's been saving himself for marriage. And then all of a sudden he gets the word that his soon to be wife is now pregnant and she's come up with some crazy story that she didn't step out of the relationship and have an affair. Really what happened was an angel showed up and it's a divine pregnancy and he's not buying it. 
And in this particular day and time, Joseph had every right in this moment to put her away and to expose her and do it in a public way, which would potentially, because adultery and the offense it was in that particular culture, it could have put her to death. So how do we know that he's not buying it because he decided to put her away quietly? Joseph being a righteous man, he loves Mary. He has this future planned. He's preparing this home for her. All of the thoughts and dreams that he had for their future has now been shattered, but he still loves her. So rather than putting her to public shame, what does he decide to do? I'm gonna put her away quietly. I don't accept the story she's telling and I'm not gonna marry her, but I'm also not gonna do it in a way that puts her at harm and at risk. His life is turned upside down and then it really gets turned upside down because the same angel that came to Mary now shows up in Joseph's house and he says to Joseph, Joseph, what Mary told you is true. Think about what's going through his mind now. Now there's this thing of, oh gosh, this story, no one's gonna believe. The angel's telling me the same thing she said the angel told her. And now I've got this dilemma. This is apparently something from God and he's giving me this impossible calling. My life will never be the same if I continue down this path because no one's buying the story. Now I'm gonna be the guy who believed the lie, who raised an illegitimate kid, And forever, the rest of our life, shame and guilt will be our future. Think about the chaos. Unfiltered Christmas. But here's what's fascinating. Mary and Joseph, even though this is an impossible calling, they say yes to the call. They embrace, Mary says to the, the, the angel, says, okay, let it be. I am your servant. Whatever you desire from me, Joseph embraces this and they understand the social and relational ramifications and they embrace it and they step into the chaos. And as they say yes, things get even more chaotic. That's where we find ourselves in the story in Luke chapter two. If you're there, say the Bible is true. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. King James says, great with child. In other words, she's really pregnant. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, if we were to look at this section of, of, of story that we often see narrated in different you know, Christmas productions or TV shows or scenes that we might have decorations around our house, we will often look at it with a filter. And in the filter, we make it look much, much more beautiful and amazing than what it really was. If we look at this truthfully in its context, this was one of those what are you doing God moments in the life of Mary and Joseph. Because what we're understanding in this little section of scripture that not only had God given them this impossible calling that they said yes to, but when they said yes, they said yes in the middle of a a nation and a season in the history of their people where there was political unrest 
and there was social oppression. I mean, Mary and Joseph are a part of the people of God, and the people of God at this moment were under the tyranny and the rule of the Roman Empire. They lived in the land of promise, but they were under the tyranny of a pagan uh, system that oppressed them, and there was political unrest all around. And what we see in the story is that now, all of a sudden, this political unrest and this social oppression is intersecting the life of Mary and Joseph. You say, in what way? If it wasn't enough for them to go through the social and relational rejection of taking this path and saying yes to the calling, now they get a message that Caesar, who is this great oppressor, has now told them, hey, there's a census. Okay, great. Let's, let's, where do we do the census? Oh, you gotta pack up your bags. You gotta leave your home. You gotta go to Bethlehem from your hometown. And there, you're going to have to give a registration of, of you and your family and all of these things. And oh, by the way, This is in the ninth month of the pregnancy. So imagine that conversation for Joseph. Hey, Mary, I got word that there's a census. Oh, okay, yeah, where are you gonna do that? (sighs) Bethlehem. 90 miles. So it's like going from here to like to Lufkin, Texas. And oh, by the way, we don't have a nice car or an SUV or even a cart. Mary, we're taking this journey nine months pregnant, I'm walking and you're gonna be on the back of a donkey and we're taking the back roads. What are we gonna do when we get there? I don't know, we'll have to find a place. Do you realize I could have this baby at any time? Yes, we have no choice, why? Because Caesar says we have to go. Now this is one of those what are you doing here moments and here's why. You would think if Mary and Joseph says yes to the call of God, if they say yes to this impossible call and say, okay God, your will be done, you would think, right? You would think that God would make this easy. If they were the ones through whom the savior of the world, the king of kings was gonna enter too, you would think because they said yes that God would make the path straight. It would all be smooth, he would make it an easy pathway, but here's what we find out. When they said yes, things didn't get easier, they got harder. Imagine the frustration and the fear and the anxiety and the what are you doing, God, in this moment, feeling that they must have felt. And let's be honest, this reveals us thinking like this, this reveals some flaws in the way that we approach our obedience to God, does it not? So many of us, and this is my confession to you, so many of us, so often we think that if I'll just do life God's way and I say yes to the call that God has on my life, my life is gonna get easier. My life is gonna get better and my life is gonna have the obstacles removed because if I'm doing what God wants me to do, that God wants me to say yes to him, then when I say yes to him, then he's just gonna move the debris, he's gonna make things have uh, just a clear pathway, there's gonna be peace and calm, and he's gonna orchestrate things so that I can do this thing that he's called me to do. And the reality is, oftentimes when we say yes to the call of God, it doesn't get easier, it actually gets harder and there's more chaos, and there's more obstacles, and there's more difficulty, and then you look and you're going, God, I'm saying yes, because if we were God, think about this for a minute, if we are God in the story of Christmas, we would have put a filter on it. We'd have been like, okay, you said yes to the call, awesome. We're gonna make it where you don't have to have any oppression, no social unrest for you, everyone's gonna believe the story, 
And oh, by the way, if Caesar wants to have a census, then we're gonna make sure that you have a nice SUV with some great music and you're gonna have a midwife who's gonna go with you just in case. And when you get to Bethlehem, you're gonna have a five-star resort that we're gonna put you in because you said yes to the call and we're gonna make sure you have everything that you need. And why wouldn't we expect him to do that? Because he's God and he could do that, right? Could he not? So you're telling me that the God of the universe who sent a star to lead the wise men to find baby Jesus or young toddler Jesus, you're telling me he can orchestrate a, a star in heaven to move, but he couldn't orchestrate a place for them to stay in Bethlehem? Like if we were God, would we, would we have not done it this way? Make the path easy, but God doesn't do that. And I was right here just for a second. Here's why. Because there's something about the chaos in the story of Christmas that teaches us some things about the nature and the character of God that we would have missed. And the real life work that he does in the life of all of us that we would miss if he took the chaos out of Christmas. And I wanna show you some things about the nature of God that it not only helps us understand the Christmas narrative, but it also helps us understand the narrative of our own life and helps us see the world the way that it is and see God at work even when it's chaotic. You ready for it? Say amen. Here's number one. Write this down if you're taking notes. Here's the first thing we learn about God in the chaos. God is sovereign over everything. We learn that God is sovereign over everything. Look what happens in Luke chapter two, again, verse seven. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered to his own town. Verse four, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Now you say, what in the world is going on? How do we see God's sovereignty at work here? Well, to answer that question, I have to read to you a passage of scripture from Micah chapter five. Micah chapter five, verse two, there is this promise that God made, this prophecy through the prophet Micah about the Messiah, the deliverer, the king that God was sending. This is the, the words of the prophet Micah. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth, from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now, what is happening here? 700 years before the arrival of Jesus, through the prophet Micah, God makes a promise, and this is what he says. You'll know the Messiah because the Messiah is gonna be born in Bethlehem. There is this prophecy about the birthplace. Now, here's what you need to know. Bethlehem was a nowhere, little small community that was overseen by everything. The only thing significant about Bethlehem is that King David was born there. And I've been to Bethlehem. Even today, Bethlehem is this tiny, small little village, and it is much larger today than it was then. In fact, I would say that by most measurements, this facility here would be about the size of Bethlehem. So of all the places that God 
could prophesy that his Messiah, the king of the universe, was going to enter the world, there is a very specific prophecy that says he's going to be born in Bethlehem, this small, little, tiny, nowhereville community, and that's where he's going to arrive. Now, fast forward 700 years later, a little couple who is betrothed or engaged in Nazareth, 90 miles away, gets the word through the angels that they are with child and that this is the Messiah. Then all of the sudden... Their life turns upside down and it goes from bad to worse. The census comes out. You gotta leave your home. You gotta make a journey to Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus has imposed his power upon your life. You say, where's the sovereignty of God in this? Here's the question. How does God get this family from Nazareth to Bethlehem? in order to fulfill his promise that he made 700 years earlier. You know what he does? He uses the political unrest of the day. One of the reasons that Caesar introduced this uh, census is because there was some political unrest. In order to flex his power and to expand his kingdom, he works things out and Caesar begins to go, okay, we need to get a census going and so let's get this thing moving. So here's what God does. God uses Caesar's desire for power and orchestrates things in real life circumstances in human history in order to get this couple who has within uh, her womb, Mary, the, the Messiah, to Bethlehem in order to fulfill this prophecy. God uses this social oppression, this chaos that Mary and Joseph are walking in is actually being used by God to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that God could show that the Messiah that he says that they're carrying is in fact the one that was prophesied about. And what we learn in this is that in the chaos, God is in control. You see, Caesar Augustus thinks he's the most powerful man in the world. And he's there one day going, you know, I'm going to do a census. Let's just make it inconvenient for everyone. Let's make them all go back to their hometown. I'll show them that I have power and authority. And the whole time, he is nothing more than a pawn in the hand of God to fulfill the promises that God has made. And what we learn in the middle of this chaos is that Caesar is not in control of anything, but God and his sovereignty and his providential nature is orchestrating real life human history and the chaos that Mary and Joseph don't understand in order to accomplish his divine will. We have got to understand this. Think about this for a moment. God uses this man that thinks he has all power and authority to accomplish the one who truly has authority and power, his purposes and his mission. God uses human leaders in chaotic circumstances to fulfill his promise. So listen to me. I know that for some of you in your life right now, in your family, in your career, in the, in, this, in the season of life you're in, or maybe just, you say, okay, things in my family, but this world has lost its mind, amen? 
And I know that we feel like every time we turn on the TV that it's just chaos and chaos and more chaos and we can't get away from the chaos. This world is all messed up and sometimes we feel like, what are you doing, God? Why in the world are you allowing these things to happen? But we can rest assured that behind all of the chaos, here's what you're gonna find. A sovereign God who has a purpose and a plan and nothing is taking him by surprise. In fact, he is using even the chaos of human history History to write the story of eternity. And no matter what you're going through in your life, what your family is experienced, the season that you're in, you can rest with confidence in knowing that in the middle of the chaos, God is at work. And like Mary and Joseph, as they loaded up the donkey and said goodbye to their family, not even knowing where they were gonna stay. Probably confused, maybe frustrated. But little did they know this little journey that was such an inconvenience was gonna be a declaration of God's sovereignty over everything in their life. None of this was an accident. Isn't that good to know? You see, I see this in my own life. I think about, people have asked me, I grew up in Arkansas, and I never had intentions to move into Texas. Uh, I people have asked me, how did you get to Texas? And, and, and just, I'm going to tell you the story. All right, you ready for it? Here's a simple answer. I met a girl. Like, I met a girl. And I'm not joking. I was at a concert one night. And after the concert, went to a restaurant with some buddies. And I saw these two girls over there that I'd known from another school and interacted but never really met. And, Senior year, I got the confidence. I walked over to the table, and I'm like, hey, can I have your friend's number? Because I wasn't brave enough to ask the friend for the number. And she was like, yeah, she was just asking about you. I'm like, good. So I called her, and we went out, and then we started dating toward the end of my senior year. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I know I kind of wanted to go to college. I wanted to play sports in college. I wanted to kind of get out of our community, and but there was no opportunity. And so... I was dating this girl and decided, you know, I didn't have any options, so I was going to join the military. And so I met with some of the uh, counselors and started the paperwork, and I was about a four, five, six days away from signing to join uh, the Army. And I get a call from my girlfriend at the time, and she's like, hey, what's, what's, what are your plans? Are you, what do you think about going to East Texas Baptist University? And I'm like, well, I've never heard of it. I know that's where you're going. And she said, I would love for you to go. And at this point, I'm like head over heels in love. We're gonna get married. So now all of a sudden, I see this bright future. I'm gonna move to Texas. I'm gonna play basketball at this university. I'm gonna marry this girl. The rest is gonna be history. It's gonna be amazing. And so I, that's what I did. I, I told the army I wasn't gonna join. And uh, a week later, I was there on a visit and said yes and registered for school. Just a few months later, I moved to Marshall, Texas, and I got settled into my dorm, and I got a phone call from the girlfriend that I was going to marry that I'd moved to Texas for, and she told me, I don't want to date you anymore. Thank you for that response. Eight o'clock was not so kind. So I had all of these plans. Man, I, I was gonna, like, I, I had my life mapped out. I'm gonna be a 
a, a, a married guy just in a few years, gonna get a degree, I'm gonna go coach, and we're gonna have this life together, this, this all the dreams, and all of a sudden, one phone call, hey, not interested anymore. I, I wanna be your friend, that's great. I was not interested in friend zone at that moment. And then chaos. Within a year and a half, no more sports in my life. The girl that I thought was gonna marry was gone and I, my life was spinning out of control. I wasn't walking with the Lord. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? I was in a dark place. I never forget, I went to a church service on a Sunday night and, and which very few college students wanna go to a church service on a Sunday night, to be honest with you. And I'll never forget, that I didn't, I didn't even know what the message was. I just knew my life was spinning out of control. All of the hopes, all of the dreams, everything was chaos. Couldn't see God at work. And I got on my face and here's what I said. God, I don't know what you're doing because I don't see it. I was broken. I was weeping. But here's what I said. Whatever, whenever, and wherever, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And I got up and I went back to my dorm. And about a week later, out of nowhere, I got a call from the father of the ex-girlfriend who was a minister, he was a pastor. He called me and said, hey, I was thinking about you. The Lord impressed upon my heart. And remember, I wasn't walking with the Lord at the time. Hey, the Lord impressed in my heart. Do you want an internship at my church? And I was like, of course I don't want an internship at your church. But then I remembered whenever, wherever, <laughs> wherever. And I'm like, I guess I do. And I'll never forget, I went, I had no idea where my life was going. Everything was spinning out of control. And here I am now for a summer working for my ex-girlfriend's dad. And that summer doing ministry, I'll never forget the very last week, I preached a sermon to the youth group. The first time I'd ever preached in that type of a setting. And I'll never forget, I, preached, I walked off the stage and I looked at him. I'll never forget. I looked at him and said, I will do this the rest of my life. Very next week, I walked right into the Marshall Hall. I changed my major. I began to, to preach wherever God would open up doors for me to preach. I didn't care if it was, an, I remember going to a little church, a little country church, and I, I was ready to you know, bring some Charles Spurgeon heat to them. And <laughs> I walk in and literally there were 12 people around a little table. I let them have it too. <laughs> a year and a half later, I would meet a young lady by the name of Adrian. when I was speaking at an event. This time she got my number. She's now my wife for over 20 years. We have three beautiful children and I could not have scripted it any better. And I'm telling you, there's been a lot of chaos the last 20 plus years. How, how, how do I go from a 18 year old kid with no direction to life spinning out of control to where I am today. Let me tell you how. God in the chaos. God is sovereign over everything. And the same is true for your life. Here's number two. Write this down if you're taking notes. God always keeps his promises. Aren't you thankful for that? God always keeps his promises. Look what it says here in verse number four. Again, it says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Listen to this. Because he was of the house and the lineage 
of, of, of David. Now, it's powerful here because there are two promises that God made, two prophecies of, of, of that God made in the Old Testament that were promises about the coming Messiah. One of them we already saw, and that is he is gonna be born in Bethlehem. He is gonna be born in Bethlehem, and so God moves heaven and earth literally to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill the promise that he made that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But why would he be born in Bethlehem? Because there's a second promise that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And specifically, Luke mentions here that he's from the, Joseph is from the lineage of David. Why? It's because Luke is showing us that what God is doing in this moment, and the reason he chose Joseph and the reason he chose Mary, because Mary also finds her lineage in the, the, the line of David, that God keeps his promises. Look what it says here in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse five. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. The offspring of David, from the lineage of David, there will be one who will be born and he will be the great king that ushers in true righteousness and peace forevermore. And here's what Luke is showing us. Luke is showing us is that God keeps his promises. And it looks like chaos is abounding and all of the circumstances seem so inconvenient. But what God is doing in the chaos is he's proving himself faithful. That God is not bound by the circumstances of life. God's promises aren't dependent upon smooth paths. In fact, here's what we learn as you read the scriptures and as you look at life in general. God does two things in the chaos. Number one, he uses the chaos to accomplish his promises, which is what we see right here. He also uses chaos to remind us of his promises. That God is at work when it seems like he's not working. In the middle of the, of the chaos, God keeps his promise. So listen to me, don't think for a moment that God is not in control. And in your life, don't think for a moment that God's promises are dependent upon circumstances. And the seasons of life and the situations of life have to be just right in order for God to do what he says he's going to do in your life. Here's what we learn both in this story and in the scripture. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 says this, for all the promises of God, every promise that God has made in humanity to humanity finds their yes in him. Who's him? The baby that's born in Bethlehem, who is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Every promise that God has made finds their yes in him. And God at times, watch this, will allow chaos into our life so that his promises become real. And I've seen it in my own life. In the darkest seasons, I can just tell you, I can look back and take a 20 plus journey in ministry now down memory lane and I can tell you this, it is not in the times of ease and comfort that God's promises are most sweet, it's in the time of pain and sorrow. 
When you see promises in the scripture, like I will never leave you nor forsake you. We say when we hear that, okay, yes, God, thank you for that. But when everyone else leaves you and forsakes you and you remember, but he hasn't, now all of a sudden that becomes really sweet. When he says, I'm the God of all comfort. Isn't that a great promise? How do we experience that promise when we need comfort? I'm the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's a promise that God has made. And you know when that promise becomes much more real in our life than just verses we read, it's when we feel like no one else is there but him. I will work all things out for the good of those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. You know when that promise transforms our heart and life is when we see the circumstances of life and we don't know how any good can come out of it. And we trust God in the pain. And then we get to a place and we can look back with perspective and we go, God, you were so good. Even when I didn't see it. The promises of God in the middle of the chaos remind us that God keeps every one of his promises. Are you thankful for that today? Which leads me to number three. Number three. And this is a good one. God will deliver us from the chaos. God will ultimately deliver us from the chaos. So the story is that they get this promise that they're carrying the Messiah. They said, name him Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means savior, deliverer. He will save his people from his sin. And then now in the middle of the chaos, they take this 90 mile journey on the back of a donkey. When they get there, there's no place for them except for a cave. And there they are. And they're in this moment of what in the world are you doing, God, when the angels show up a few miles down the road to a group of shepherds. And we're gonna come back to this passage in a couple of weeks. But I want you to see this. This is the message that we get. And this is what God is able to do in the middle of the chaos. Look what he says here, verse 11. He said, the angels say this to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a savior who is Christ the Lord. So all of the chaos that would lead Mary and Joseph in the middle of all of the political unrest, the social unrest, the relational rejection, everything they've gone through has led them to this moment in this cave when Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the world would enter in and here's what he came to do. He came to save us from our sin. He has come to deliver us from the chaos. And Jesus does this in two ways. Watch this, don't miss this. The first way that Jesus delivers us from the chaos is in his first arrival, the first Christmas, the first advent. Jesus is born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph so that he could die on the cross for our sin. 
You see, the chaos of this world, the turmoil of this world, the unrest of this world, there is a root cause. And that root cause isn't politics and it isn't just social unrest. It's not any of the things that we often look at and say, if this could be fixed, all would be well. The root cause of the chaos in the world is sin. And Jesus in his first coming came to deal with sin by dying in our place, by receiving the punishment of sin, being put in a tomb, being resurrected to life so that in him, death, hell, and the grave might be defeated and the chaos of sin can no longer reign in the hearts of those who had placed their faith and trust in him. That's why Jesus came. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see like, okay, he's born now, all is well. No, Jesus is born, and if not all is well, chaos still abounds. Like, I wonder if Mary and Joseph, when Jesus was born, were like, oh, this is great. And we get the little picture, you know, like Mary is there holding Jesus. There's a halo over Jesus. The angels are hovering above, and you see a glow around Mary. And then we write songs that are like, you know, silent night, like, you know, all is well. You ever thought about this? You see this later on in Luke's story. I can't go there, but if you read what Simeon and Anna made reference to when Jesus is presented at the temple just a few chapters later, a few verses later, we're reminded that this little baby that Mary is holding in this cave There's going to be a day as she's staring at his face in her arms that one day she will stare at his face on a cross. And her baby boy will be beaten and whipped and mocked, pierced. Mary's, most of Mary's life was chaos. But there was gonna be a day in Mary's life, check this out, when the baby that left her womb would walk out of a tomb, ushering in salvation for the sins of humanity. And I want you to know this morning, the chaos of this world, chaos in our life, if you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then apart from him in entering into your life, you're stuck in the chaos. But when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you receive his death and resurrection, here's what that does for our life. It doesn't remove us from the chaos. It removes us from the chains of the chaos and the power of the chaos. And it reconciles the relationship between us and God. And it gives us a hope that though the world is in chaos, though my life is not where I want it to be, though there is pain and there is suffering, here is the hope. There's a second advent coming. You see, in the first arrival of Jesus, they anticipated the coming of the Savior. And in his first arrival, he came to experience the chaos, 
to receive the punishment of the chaos of sin and death and himself, to defeat it in his resurrection. But when he comes again, he is not coming as a baby in the manger. He is coming as the king of the universe who is not here to step into the chaos. He is coming to eradicate the chaos once and forevermore. And we have the hope that yes, There is chaos in the world, but through Jesus Christ, we live in a constant hope. We turn on the news, and this is how we watch the news now. We look at the news and we go, oh, okay, I get it. They think they're in charge. Oh, inflation's out of control, and we've got high gas prices, and man, we we might see a person we wanted elected, we might see a person we didn't want elected, and we get uh, watch the news, and we look at this, and we can either do one of two things. We can wring our hands and go, oh no, what are we gonna do? Or we step back and we remember, ah, there is a God who is sovereign over everything, and he keeps his promise, and he promised that he's not leaving us here, that he's working even in the midst of the chaos, and one day, he's coming back back. And just like he used Caesar and all of the political structure of that day to bring about and orchestrate the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem to be the savior of the world, he is at work right now. And there is not a president, there is not a ruler, there is not a king that has a position of power that wasn't placed there by God Almighty. And he will use them as he sees fit to organize the world like he wants it so that when he returns, the king of the universe steps in and with the word of his mouth, Peace forevermore. That's the hope that we have in the middle of chaos. The scripture says he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death. Do you realize when King Jesus returns, the chaos will be gone. We will never stand beside the casket again. We will never receive a bad diagnosis from the doctor again. We will never be betrayed by friends again. We'll never have a spouse walk out on us ever again. There'll be peace forevermore when he comes back. So what do we do in the middle of the chaos? We remember there's a God at work in all of it and he's sovereign. He is not restricted by the world's power. And he has made promises to us that are good for today and give us hope for tomorrow. And the greatest promise is this. I came to deliver you from the chaos. That's Christmas unfiltered. Are you thankful for the Lord this morning? For some of you in the room today, you need to respond to Jesus for the very first time and receive him as your Lord and Savior. You've placed the hope of your life in things other than, maybe it's church, maybe it's being a good person, maybe it's in the faith of your parents or family, or maybe you just outright go, I've never really wanted God. This morning, maybe for some of you, the response today to the word of the Lord is, God, I need you to step into the chaos and save me from my sin. I wanna trust you as my Lord and Savior. And I wanna see you transform my life today. Others of you in this room, and this is where I would just challenge you today. Some of you, your families are experiencing chaos. It might be relational, it might be health, it might be financial, it might be just, I don't know about the future. I'm overwhelmed. 
We're going to have a time, just a moment of response. What would keep you? Like if this is who God is, why would we not want to have somebody pray for us? So in a moment, we're going to have prayer encouragers that are going to be here available and we're going to sing and we're going to worship. And I don't want us to just go, oh, that's great, God in the chaos. I want you to realize this morning, like that God is in this room and there are men and women who want to go to him on your behalf. And whatever chaos is in your life, big or small, we want to take it to the God who's sovereign, who keeps his promises and who offers deliverance. What would keep you? I'm like, that would be foolish, wouldn't it? To just sit and hear and go, ah, maybe later. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask our decision encouragers, our prayer partners to get in their place. I'm going to pray. When I say amen, this is going to be an opportunity to worship and to be prayed for. If you need to receive Christ or you just need prayer for general things that you're going through, this is an opportunity. Father, I give this time to you and ask by the Holy Spirit, you move in this place. We trust you. We depend upon you. And we ask that your will be done. In Jesus' name.